Hi, I'm Jess and I'm the oldest. Hi, I'm the oldest. I'm Shtee, I'm the dad and this is actually my podcast. And I'm Tommy, I'm the youngest. Welcome to the podcast. At the heart of hearts, we're all very creative. I've had a very interesting life. You've travelled all over the world. I remember being... Oh, interesting. This is not how I remember this story. story, story, story. Pints are not a good measure for filling Jaguars as fuel. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to another monthly episode of the podcast. And this one is especially exciting because... Can I get some jingle bells? Oh, you guessed it. It's the Christmas episode. Christmas. Coming to you in early January, but for us, it is still December, so we are in festive feels. So, Stephen, I believe you have created a curated collection of Christmas stories. Christmas conundrums. Yes. No, they're not conundrums, actually. It's just a little picture of my childhood. Uh, followed by a couple of tales and finishing with a cracker. Um, <laughs> so, well, not a, not a Christmas cracker, a cracker <laughs> of a story. Oh, I, was I fully sure thought which, that I was, was a either. <laughs> I'm so witty, I don't even know. I'm a, I'm a comedian without even knowing. Anyway, so um, we're taking a slight break from the chronological order of my life, which, as you remember, I was still in Zambia last time we spoke, last month's podcast. Um, Mm. So we're coming out of that for a bit. And this uh, is sort of focusing on my family home in Surrey, uh, where I grew up. I was the youngest of four children, as you well know. And I think probably that means Christmas is all a bit more magical for me uh, than than it might otherwise be, because there were lots of people trying to make it magical, um, mm. possibly, possibly for me. Um, so we lived in a house in a cul-de-sac and my father had a uh, tailoring business in the town, which was about uh, 20 minutes walk down the hill. So our Christmases were always spent at, at home um, when I was growing up in the family house. And uh, I just remember that it was punctuated by all sorts of traditional things that we did. Um, and one of the great excitements was that uh, my dad's business, he used to buy clothes from suppliers to sell to customers. And uh, one of his suppliers from London every Christmas would send the business two three pound boxes of uh, Cadbury's chocolates how much is three pounds in kilograms I can never ever remember well it's like 2.2 pounds is a kilogram so it's like a kilogram and a half I suppose but it's a lot of chocolates and it was in a it was in a single layer in a square box I don't know it's perhaps one foot six what's that Uh, 500 centimeters square or something a really big flat box um and one of those boxes stayed at the shop uh, for the staff to have during their coffee break uh, each day in the lead up to Christmas. But the other one came to our house. And I, you know, I, I might have said this before, but I don't think <laughs> my parents had very much money to spare when we were growing up. So this was like a real treat to have a big box of chocolates in the house. Mm. And that was that was one of the uh, one of the exciting memories. And across the road from us, there was a big fir tree in the garden of the house opposite. And that neighbour always used to put uh, streams of outside lights, you know, full-size bulbs up and up to the mm. top and bottom of this tree. So that was right outside our front door, opposite across the road. And that was all brightly coloured and lit up at Christmas time. Um, mm. And uh, on Christmas Eve, we would all go across and the neighbours would come out and we'd, we'd gather underneath this tree and sing carols. 
And mulled wine hadn't been invented in those days. Fairy tale. Yeah, it was very, very much. And if it, just occasionally, of course, it was there was a dusting of snow on the ground, um, mm. very occasionally. But uh, but anyway, this um, this big box of chocolates would be brought out to hand round to the neighbours under the Christmas tree, which had at the same time a sense of enormous cosy warmth in the heart and a sort of sense of ouch, there's an awful lot of people here tucking into our chocolates. So <laughs> it's kind of the, the, Chris, the Christmas spirit slightly modified by human feeble fa- failings. Well, I'm pretty sure when you described the box of chocolates, I think you said it was 500 centimetres, by, which is five metres by five metres. So <laughs> it sounds to me like there's actually a lot of chocolates to go around you and your neighbours. Yeah. <laughs> five metre box of chocolates. Yeah, also, that, that's just such a normal, um, like response from mm. a child which is like no don't take my chocolates no i have a nice thing i mean i'm a grown-up a lot of the time you have to try yeah, quite but hard you'd to be yeah, generous yeah, mask is a grown-up i mean this of course is um 50 more than 50 years ago and i, I drove down the road recently and that pine that fir tree is still there and i i was uh awash with memories and another thing we used to do was uh my mum would always make a christmas cake uh, which is mm. fraught with with sort of um stress and all sorts of excitement making this Christmas cake but we were allowed to and I think by we I mean me um were allowed to stir it and make a wish uh which was a, a thing thing that I did and um as far as I know the only wish that I can remember which I wished every year repeatedly in December whilst I stirred the Christmas cake was that I could have an action man for Christmas as a toy <gasps> no and way I, oh, yeah, I always dreamt of an action man. I would man. never, ever, um, ever guess that you would want an action man. That's so no, interesting. I know. Well, I, d- I can't quite explain it because prior to that, <laughs> my my favourite toy had been a doll. I used to have a, a little doll baby boy mm. called Paul, in fact. Um, and I was Paul. That sounds a bit more like <laughs> I was, I was Paul much <laughs> But anyway, uh, I mean, to action action men, an action, an action man was very expensive in those days. It was a sort of newly and bought out toy and it was beyond the budget of my parents because of course even though you weren't supposed to share your wish when you you did it silently as you stirred the christmas cakes apparently it didn't come true if you mm. if you said it out loud but i still let them know in no uncertain terms mm. that an action man was was what i was hoping for <laughs> i'm i'm very interested to hear that there was a tradition of of just wishing on because you, I think you said your parents were strict Baptists, or at least your father's family was like strict Baptists. And from a religious yeah. background, you sort of think of like wishing as a not really lining up with that. This is the absolutely fantastic thing about my mum and dad. The strictness definitely was a generation above. Mm. But even though they inherited that, or my father did, they were well, way, well able to see beyond the kind of dogma of, of that kind mm. of dish tradition. And and juggle the kind of I mean you're quite right. There's lots of evangelicals who would say that wishing or hoping or doing anything other than praying was a, was a dodgy mistake. But but they were just great. Mm. I mean they just ran with with the sort of things that we were, that the lives we were living, which was a little bit of a fantasy, mm. I suppose, in that sense. Um, mm. But anyway, it doesn't work apparently. You should pray because it doesn't work, it doesn't <laughs> you work do, wishing. You didn't get I never, never got a ration. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, I'm just thinking, talking, talking now, I'm thinking what I liked about it was the fact that you could sort of put, it was like you, you assembled it, you got all sorts of different kits, like sort of a, 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 a battle kit and a sort of a, I don't know, a, a desert kit. And I, like, I love the idea of being able to put different bits and pieces on and equip them for, 
for different mm. experiences. But um, I came across one, I can't think where recently, and I was just like, oh my word, that doesn't look very great. <laughs> <laughs> it does look a pretty rubbish <laughs> time. <laughs> it strikes um, me that every, every generation of parents and children must have to go through that thing of, of matching up how you grew up and the world that you grew up in is different to the world that your children are growing up in and trying to, I don't mm. know. Yeah, no, Makes totally. Sense of the two. Well, it's very pos- very difficult to do that. But I, I, I set against the disappointment and misery of never getting an action man. One year, I did get something which I can still remember the beating heart of in my chest as I opened it. Which you wait for it. I mean, it was called a tricky Tommy ta- tractor, if you can believe it. <gasps> a tricky no. Tommy tractor. Yeah. So it no. turns out Tommy wasn't the first tricky Tommy. There was another tricky Tommy. Which <laughs> <laughs> tricky Tommy tractor. I, and, I, can't, I haven't heard this before. No, well, it, I mean, it was way ahead of its time because... Um, As am I. I. Oh, completely. What, what, I was, <laughs> what I was looking... I was trying to look it up before this, um, this episode and I found something that wasn't quite the way I remember it. But anyway, the, the essence of it was it was a, a, a little tra- orange tractor and it had a man at the top and he, his um, uh, hands were connected to the steering wheel by sort of articulated rods and it was mm. battery-powered... And you turned it on, and off it went across the across the, the the room until it hit something. But this was the absolutely genius innovation: was if it hit something, it thought about it for a bit, and then it reversed, and then what the wheels turned. Then it basically would just keep on going to and fro, hit until it hit something, went back. And I mean, it wasn't interactive because you weren't controlling it, but it was the very very mm. first kind of um, mechanical toy that did something other than just go along kind and stop. Slightly smart, yeah. That's great. That makes me think of those. I don't know if you remember these, Tommy. There was a um, a toy that was like it was a dog that would bark and would flip. Um, I, I feel oh, yeah. like this was a yeah, was yeah, this yeah. a primary school thing. I can't really really remember, but it 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 sort of would like yap, and I think it maybe moved forward, and then it sounds like the same thing. Which is if it came across an obstacle, it would sort of flip over, or I don't know. It seemed mm. kind of like magic at the time, but probably was super annoying. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think this was probably about 1970 or something. Or, 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 I mean, I must have been about 10 or 11, I think, to have been so entranced by it. So it was very exciting in those days. I, just the words flipping over for your dog has made me remember... I feel like I was obsessed with remote control things, remote control cars and stuff. I always wanted remote control cars. So I remember there was a... I think it must have been an advert from Argos, which in my childhood brain reminds me of the Buzz Lightyear advert in Toy Story where it's just like flashing, zooming, <laughs> space, noise, boom, bang. It's like the most exciting thing ever. And it was for a remote control. It wasn't a car. It was like just a thing that had four wheels. But the wheels were bigger than any part of the body. The body was quite thin in the middle. So it could you could drive it either way up. So oh, like yes. you could drive it into a curb and it would flip over and then you could just drive away in the other direction. Did you get so one of these? Whether it, I'm, I might have had one, I yeah. I can picture exactly. I can picture it too. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. See, I, I remember the advert. I remember being excited about it, but I don't Tri- remember actually owning one. <laughs> Tricky Tommy 2, 3, Tractor 3. Tricky, Tricky Tommy Tractor, yeah. So anyway, that was it. That was it, one highlight. And um, the other sort of really enduring memory um, was that we had a, a staircase going up to the, the first floor where the bedrooms were. And um, and by the way, our house was, my mum, who was a teacher, used to say, it, our house was the sort of house that a child draws 
when he draws a house or she draws a house because it was a square house and it had four windows to the top to the bottom equally spaced in the house it had a door in the middle and two chimneys on the roof and a sort of a sloping roof and it was just like a classic <laughs> house that everybody classic draws house. and this um the staircase went up and underneath the stairs was a a sort of harry potter style understairs cupboard literally with a little door that mm. opened and in a, in there was a space where normally you'd keep the hoover uh, some jam jars, the dusters, anything that you wanted out of sight when a visitor was coming, all all that kind of stuff. But at Christmas, it all got cleared out. I don't know where it went, but it all got cleared out. And um, and my dad created a winter wonderland in this little cupboard. And it was oh. sort of acres and acres of cotton wool um, and uh, <laughs> a set of fairy lights. And, and fairy lights weren't quite the thing they are now. I mean, you Probably if you had a set of fairy lights, you just had one set in a, in a house. You didn't sort of have them all over the place. And um, and so and in this sort of scene, he'd, he would put various little things that either made out of Lego or mostly actually they were decorations that might go on the Christmas cake or hadn't made it to the Christmas cake this year. So I remember there was a little little person on a toboggan, um, tiny, and, just, and then a few other people <laughs> dotted around. and uh, And I guess... Uh, I think he made a, a, a cotton wool snowman and that kind of thing, but it was it was a thing that all the neighbours used to come and just have a look at the winter wonderland. So you'd open, <laughs> open the door and people would come and have a look. Especially our neighbours next door that had such a good relationship with them. We cut a hole in the fence so that we could come and go between the gardens mm. at the back, and they used to come over on Christmas Eve and have a look at this and um, and play some games. But I just picture how my, my father going to all that effort just to give us a little bit of excitement, which he did. Mm. Happy to say. That sounds amazing. And then one, one year, uh, I think it was 1968, there was an outbreak of flu, really bad outbreak of flu, a very topical. And this, uh, this flu went through the whole household, apart from my father, who soldiered on bringing a sort of uh, I don't know, aspirins and bowls of soup and anything that we could. We were all ill the whole of Christmas. And mm-hmm. uh, he, we Rotten. thought he had escaped it, except at the end of Christmas afternoon, we'd all sort of come downstairs and were feeling a little bit better. And my dad came in from the kitchen. He sat in the chair and he burst into tears. And it was the oh. only only time I've ever seen him cry. And he was basically, he was just going down with flu. <laughs> so oh. poor chap. <laughs> So, so he crawled upstairs. So that wasn't a great Christmas, that particular um, memory. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, that's pretty miserable. But he, he was he was a sort of sort of um, dad, husband, person to just soldier on, come what may. But in the end, he ran out of ran out of anything. We did celebrate Father Christmas. I mean, I can't quite remember the transition between believing in Father Christmas and not believing in Father Christmas. I don't know if you can. But for me, I do remember having putting out the stockings with great excitement. And they were real stockings, um, which you can get an awful lot in a stocking, actually. It sort of stretches. As in like tights, <laughs> when you say a real stocking? Well, half of a tight. Oh, yeah. half, half of I a mean, tight. There was, <laughs> <laughs> one, but yeah, I see one what you t- mean. A pair of one tights. Tight. <laughs> a tight. <laughs> yeah, so it had, you'd, you'd always have a tangerine in the toe. That was obligatory. And then um, walnuts, which I think must have been cheap, you seem to fill up a lot of it. Um, which we always used to have walnuts at Christmas, um, magazines, some sweets, um, little bits of bars of soap. Mostly it was things that were going to be useful, I think, um, but the occasional bit of frippery for the, the, <laughs> ch- the children love. And then at the top would be a balloon uh, tied to it, and that would be hanging off the end of our bed. 
but I can't remember being the the, the sense of being disappointed or, or oh gosh that's obvious when it when it dawned on us that that Father Christmas wasn't real. I don't remember. I I really remember knowing that the Tooth Fairy wasn't real. Um, Father Christmas not so much because I do have a memory one year of waking up when Father Christmas uh, was in the process of filling my stocking or, or hanging the stocking <laughs> on the end of my bed and, and, and being really aware that there was someone there and then and like be like, oh my gosh, and then go back to sleep. <laughs> Mats and I can remember that, that you were shopping with her one time in June or something. And you were very young, actually. And <gasps> Mats bought something that then reappeared in your stocking at Christmas. And yes, you, that's I when know, you twigged it, really. I know what really. it is. It, it was oh. a cup. It was a plastic <laughs> cup and I loved it because it... I've not thought about this for so long. It was a plastic cup that had two layers of plastic. So on the in, on, in between them, there was like um, sort of liquid. And this one, I think, was the Little Mermaid. It had like images of fish and stuff. So you could like... They like floated waters. around today. Yeah, so you yeah. could be drinking it all move. Oh my gosh, that cup was amazing. Mm. Well, that was the downfall of Father <laughs> Christmas as far as we were concerned. Yeah, spotted it. Have I told? I, I mean, I'm I'm sure I've told you the story of how I realised the tooth fairy wasn't real. Tell us. Just because it is, I you know it's up there with one of mm. my favourite stories. Mm. Because I I basically laid a, a test, a trap, which was that Shocking. I think I was about maybe ten. Is that a normal age to be losing teeth? Um, maybe. maybe a bit younger. Can't remember. Anyway. And I knew that one of my teeth was wobbly. And I think I must have had a suspicion about the tooth fairy. And so I didn't tell anybody that my tooth was wobbly. And then when it came out, I put it under my pillow. Mm. And then I woke up the next morning uh, and there was nothing there. Shocking. I don't think uh, I remember that story being told before. But yeah, I'm it sure was, it uh, it, I mean, I think it was more confirming the suspicions I already yeah. had. But mm. it, it was definitely a moment of like... Okay, you have to tell your parents in order for the tooth fairy to uh, <laughs> to exist. So much of childhood is basically a sort of a, a, a con. A con, a yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just zipping and dashing back to Zambia for a moment. Um, in those days before emails and rapid communication, it was a long sort of delay between writing or receiving letters. Um, and occasionally we would send a tape backwards and forwards, a cassette tape this is now, which mm. predated compact discs, which predated streaming, downloading and all the rest of it. And the the, the cassette tape would be recorded over and sent backwards and forwards uh, with news. And I do remember receiving a tape that was recorded during Christmas at Christine's house, my sister, where you spent a lot of your Christmases when you were growing up. And um, this tape would have had all of my family um together apart from me out in the wilds of, uh, mm. of Zambia and it was great I mean it was sort of all sorts of nonsense and banter that usually ensues when my family get together and it, I think it arrived in about February so it was a little bit sort of <clears throat> unseasonal by the time it came to me <laughs> a bit like this podcast <laughs> yes <laughs> but it, I mean it was it was part of my life life support mm. like it was really and uh, the thing I remember about it was they were all sitting around and <clears throat> to cheer me up they seemed to think I needed cheering up um they decided to have a sing song so they they sang that a fair song of which my family tends to uh, engage in called the rattling bog that's a bit oh, like on good. on the um more bar tat it sort of goes on and on rare bog rattling bog etc etc well anyway um they so they sang that with great sort of gusto, and then it came to the last little um, bit and stopped, and there was that sort of 
poignant quietness when everyone had finished singing. And then Trevor pipes up and he says, I say, he says, are you casting aspersions upon my lavatory? <laughs> in, <laughs> in other words, his bog is, is rattling. Oh. His bog is rattling. <laughs> but, uh, I, I just thought it was a very... But it was a nice little window on what was going on anyway. Mm. And, um, did it make yeah, it you feel fun. more homesick? Yeah, it did. Yeah, mm. it definitely did. I think mm. it, sometimes it's quite hard to have have reminders of everyone else being together if you're not. Mm. But in the other but way... But then also, yeah, yeah it's nice to have You couldn't live it. without it. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's mm. right. But I, I mean, I know there were times when I did feel very, very remote because communication was so so difficult in those days. When I came back from Zambia, um, I was... this this sort of last Christmas story, uh, which is The Cracker, <laughs> could be entitled How I Met Your Mother, really, I suppose. <laughs> but um, So when I got back from Zambia, I was at a bit of a loss. I didn't, I was completely bewildered by, well, for one thing, the amount of choice in the supermarkets and the, just the amount of stuff that was around, having been kind of out of it for so long. Um, mm. And my sister Rosemary tells me that I can't remember this, but if I sat in front of the television, I would just constantly change the channels. I wouldn't set, settle to anything for mm. very long. Um, and so didn't have a clue what to do next. And I, I volunteered to help in a, a coffee bar in our town, which had been set up really as a sort of resource for people who were either homeless or perhaps they had a drug problem or were just sort of for young people anyway somewhere to go that wasn't a pub really and um and so I volunteered to help and uh, Mutz as we call her was uh, one of the two uh, full-time staff who worked there running it and they co-opted a, a sort of series of odd waifs and strays to do help with the um, cooking up in the kitchen so I used to uh take orders via a dumb waiter which as you may know is a thing that goes up and down between two levels of a restaurant a little mini lift and the 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 orders would come up on a bit of paper and it might be a baked potato with tuna or it might be a a cheese sandwich or something and I'd put them together and send them back down in the dumbwaiter and um and so Mutz was down below and I was up top and that's how we first started to communicate and get to know each other but it wasn't long before I thought there's something else to do and I was asked and approached by an organisation that was helping a children's home in the Philippines. And they were sending, they were recruiting a team of people to go for two months uh, to do some building work. And they were looking for people who, you know, would go and not do too much damage and be able to function. And since I'd been away for two years, they thought I might fit. So I said yes. And it was for November and December 1984. That's right, November and December 1984. And uh, so... By this time, uh, Mutz and I had started sort of sparking quite a bit and been going out to various places. And off I went for two months. So while I was out in, in the Philippines, um, we were it was a place called the Shepherd of the Hills Children's Home. And we were building a, a toilet block, a fish pond and a piggery unit. So it was to sort of help them be a bit more sustainable, really. Um, lovely, beautiful sort of backdrop of a of a mountain um and i'll come i'll come back to this later in the podcast series actually this experience but mm. um what happened while i was there bearing in mind it was november and december i got a, a letter from sarah clark um and she had said i was wondering about coming out for a holiday at the end of your time mm. well now this this if you know anything about sarah clark is forward 
to the extreme, um, <laughs> but very welcome a, a letter it was indeed. And so we set about trying to work out how she'd come out for a holiday. And um, the the work scheme, as we called it, finished pretty much on Christmas Eve or just before Christmas Eve. A ticket was booked and Mutz came out. And I don't think, I think I'm right in saying she'd never been to an airport before. And her father took her one uh, very rainy evening to Heathrow and put her on KLM. Uh, so she transited in Amsterdam and flew halfway across the world. And she got on that plane, and this is why it's a Christmas-related story, on Christmas Eve, would you believe? Mm. So, uh, what an adventure. What an adventure for her. And if you ask her today, and I, you know, when she listens to this, she will nod with a knowing smile. One of the things that sticks <laughs> in her, her mind most about that flight was the little packets of peanuts and little snacks that you get on the, uh, on the airline <laughs> food tray because they're just sort of quite neat and nice, really. So, <laughs> so that was great. So anyway, that was my Christmas present in uh, Christmas 1984. But at, whilst she was in the air, uh, flying across time zones and through various Christmases, uh, um, different countries, um, I was just waiting for her to arrive, really. And I was introduced to somebody who lived in one of the... It wasn't really a slum area, but it was a very poor area of, of what's called Curzon City, which is part of Manila which is the capital of the Philippines. And um, I was invited to go and spend Christmas Eve there and not knowing any different I and not having anything else to do, I I readily agreed. And that that whole night I didn't sleep at all, not one wink, because the whole area was just a buzz with communal activity to an extent that I've, I don't think I've ever experienced before or since. Everybody's door was open. There was not a shut door in the whole part of that city. And you wandered from street to street, um, meeting new people as you went, dropping people you had met five minutes ago from each street, wandering into somebody's house. And in every house, there was a a cauldron of bubbling food and a big pot of rice. Um, And it was kind of like help yourself, really. I mean, it was the Mm. most extraordinary experience. (laughs) I guess everybody in that in that area you know were connected and knew each other and uh but to dip into it for me as a sort of complete outsider and be be welcomed and included uh was one of the most magical christmas eves i'll i will ever experience i think um i just had my mouth open not for the food i was just sort of gobsmacked <laughs> the, the whole time and uh mm. and we wanted and you didn't feel tired because there was always people to talk to stories to tell so uh, I can remember about five o'clock in the morning feeling, gosh, I haven't slept. So I'm feeling feeling quite tired now. And so in the end, I think I did go back to um, to the house where I was staying and have, had a, a couple of hours kit um, before going off to the airport to receive my Christmas presents. 1984, Sarah <laughs> Clark, <ta-da! laughs> uh, which goes down in history as way better than an action man, I've got to say. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Excellent review. The, the detail of the next story will come, but we then went off for holiday for two weeks and came back engaged. So there we are. And within six, within six months, we were married. So there you Ooh, go. That's amazing. That is so good. On another podcast, maybe, um, I'd love to rehear the story of sending notes to the dumbwaiter because I just think that's so nice. Mm. Yes, mm. well, it fits here, really. I mean, I time dulls the memory but i just remember that as the as the food orders came up and the food orders went down they were sort of embellished in in each direction i think with little comments and i, I mean that was 
total idiocy, really. I mean, I think you might have asked about the weather weather down there. And, and I think <laughs> at some point, in one direction at least, the cartoon was sent of... I think I sent a cartoon of me labouring over a stone or something, but, I mean, a stove, a stove <laughs> over a stone. <laughs> labouring over a stone. <laughs> over a hot stone. <laughs> over a hot stone. <laughs> but, I mean, I'm not very good at drawing the best of times. So, so, but anyway, I would have sent it down with the, with the mashed potato or whatever. Oh, it but was it's going not down. the drawing that matters, it's the... Uh... <laughs> it's the intent of the drawing. So... Were, were you you were upstairs in a kitchen? The kitchen yes. was upstairs. I should have made that and clear. Was on yes, that's floor right. level serving stuff. To that's it. Yeah, where people came yeah. into the yeah. Have we got any reminiscences from your Christmases, or are they all? Because they tend to be spent at my sister's. I think didn't we? We went down there on the whole. Yes. The only thing that springs to my mind was, which I think I've mentioned quite often recently, is opening Lego Hogwarts on the rug in Granny's living room. I remember that so clearly because I was so excited about getting that. And I think I knew I was getting it as well somehow. I probably had asked for it. Yeah. And then I remember checking what was under the Christmas tree, like the week leading up to Christmas, and there'd been nothing, there'd been nothing. And it's not there and that's not there. And then suddenly there was a big box there and it rattled. And I was just like, this is the best. I'm so excited. And it was. That's the one that really stands out to me. I mean, every other Christmas is magical and great, but mm. it's a formula that we've come up with that works really well for us, which is go to our aunt and uncles and have a wonderful time. Hang out with the cousins. Um, yeah, mm. I, I think Christmas for me definitely involves having, like, lots of people around, mm. um, lots of, you know, I guess family, but but extended in whatever direction that, that means. I think I've always really liked that about Christmas. But it's, in, it's interesting trying to think about, I can't, I can't really pinpoint feeling that way about a present, like where, I, where I'd asked for something and was really hoping it would come. Mm. I mean, the, the thing I do remember being, when I got my first phone, that was very exciting because mm. it was just such a new type of thing. And, uh, 3210? Thir- uh, 30, 3310. And 3310? Played Snake, probably. That would be a Nokia the then. Time. Nokia 3310. Uh, crappy phone. One one of the other things, just skipping back to my father's business and his shop again, was obviously at Christmas there were <clears throat> there were always big promotional kind of window displays, um, where they would have special kind of um, gifts that were bought in just before Christmas to for people to buy their their families, and um, these were always interesting. And I mean, there was uh, the two things spring to mind about this, and what one is that. Uh, one year there was a an item that was on sale. I'm going to have to think very hard to get what it was, the name of it correct. It was a drinks mixer. Okay, that's what it is. It was something for mixing drinks. But everybody who was trying to sell it and even buy it, for some reason that title, drinks mixer, would always get muddled up as into a drinks mixer or a mixed drink <laughs> or, or a mixed drinker. <laughs> or a um, mink strixer. Anyway, it has just lots of different ways that people said it, and they they'd come off the street and they'd not didn't know anything about this, and they said, "Could I have a mink strixer, please?" And, it's, <laughs> and it became it became a standing joke in the family that um, the, the drix minker, drix minker, or whatever it is called. <laughs> and then the other thing, I'm not sure this was a Christmas thing, but I think it might have been. Um, they sold a lot of Ganex uh, clothing, and Ganex is a is a particular fabric that is waterproof. Um, very expensive, I would say. I'm 
presume it still exists, but it, it certainly did in those days. Mm. And they had a display unit from Ganex to um, illustrate quite how waterproof it was. And this was a uh, a Ganex, <clears throat> a bit like a suitcase really, but a, a, a small open container made out of Ganex material full of water in the in in the the window and um now let me just think about this above it was a tap you could see the tap and you could see the tap was not connected to anything it was just screwed onto a bit of board and there were no pipes going into it or anything but out of the tap was coming a constant stream of water um into this Ganex bag at the at the bottom to show how waterproof it was and Mm. this was absolute source of fascination to passers-by because it, was, it wasn't at all apparent how it could possibly work. And, of course, the truth was it had a clear plastic tube going up the middle of the stream of, of water into the spout of the tap that was taking oh. water up, and then it was spilling down the outside of that mm. tube, so you couldn't see the tube. It was in the middle of the water spout, and that had a pump in the, in the thing that just kept, that kept on going. But there were people sort of on their... F- on their stomachs on the ground outside the window, on the pavement outside the shop, trying to figure out how on earth this water was getting into the tap and that was coming out. So, That's very clever. Yeah. I don't know how many Gannix coats it sold at Christmas, but anyway, it was uh, exciting. For us. <laughs> it's all in the advertising and that sounds like good advertising. Mm. Yeah. It, it was... sort of steals, steals the show away from the waterproofness of the Gannix thing if you're just staring at the tap. Yeah, it does, it does. <laughs> yeah. Where tap like this from? Because I could do with that tap. Yeah, I want a magic tap. Well, I'm, I mean, I think it's perfectly... You, one could make one. I've often, often thought of trying to rig one up because... Uh, but I've often thought of doing lots of things, but it, it's never really done that. But, uh, but it was a very clever little marketing ploy. And I think that's probably my um, list of Christmas stories, uh, as far as I know. It's cracking. It's got me in the Christmas merry spirit. The Christmas merry spirit. As it is well known. Great. Well, thank you for a lovely festive episode. And we will tune back in in January to hear more about your adventures... In Zambia. Alizande. I'm still in Zambia. Yeah. Last last edition of Zambia, I think. Probably. Snazzy. Great. Thanks, G. Well, follow us on social media. We are at the Podclucks on everything. Give us a review. Give us a rating. Tell all your friends. And uh, that can be our Christmas present. Thanks, everybody. Well, it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. And I guess, until next month, it's goodbye from me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.